Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, it's Tommy. Um, if you don't currently have an ops management platform like Ops Analytica in your business, then I hate to be the one to tell you, but you are losing to your competitors that do. It is 2021. If you honestly believe that the world we live in today with technology the way it is, that you can still compete with other chains that have real-time visibility into their operations, that have the ability to identify issues, to crowdsource solutions, and are able to then roll out process changes in hours or a day or two versus weeks or months, if you think you can beat them, then you are crazy, right? I see what our clients are doing with our platform every day. They are incrementally getting better because they manage their entire system like a GM manages a restaurant. You cannot compete with that. Data is not going away. Technology is not going away. You cannot operate like this is 1985 anymore. You have to get real about your operations. You can't back into it by looking at customer satisfaction and food costs and labor costs and all that stuff. You got to have real-time ops data so you can manage your business better. And Ops Analytica is dying to help you make that transformation. Uh, Check us out at opsanalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show. It's Tommy. I am back with another episode. I am uh, super excited to welcome Jake Lanning to the show today. Hey, Jake, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, you got the you have the total podcast voice. Uh, you sounded so deep and rich. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the show, Jake. Uh, for all those uh, listeners out there, we're going to do our normal format today, and we're going to go through our top five questions that we asked each guest. So without further ado, Jake, the question number one, explain what you do today, but then take us through your career progression from your first job until now. All right. So what I do today, I was brought into uh, Fresh Fry, um, which is a Louisville, Kentucky based um, waste tech startup. Um, And my job is the business operations manager. So um, in a nutshell, I'm here to make sure this machine runs without the wheels falling off um, as we build a bigger uh, machine that needs to go further. Um, and morph into what the, the market asks of it. Um, need to make sure that we have all the parts and pieces in place and make sure that there is um, harmony uh, among the team uh, that we have here. So it's, it's a very challenging, but very fulfilling role um, in kind of the organizational leadership aspect of that. But then also in the very uh, unique and diverse um, industry of being a startup um, in that space, uh, just a lot of very, very um, unique challenges that uh, haven't experienced before, but really looking forward to being able to overcome uh, with a very talented team here. So real quick, before you go through your whole career progression, tell everybody what Fresh Fry is, because I don't think people might not know, and I want to make sure they understand what we're talking about uh, throughout the podcast. Right. So Fresh Fry is, uh, like I said, a waste tech product company. We currently produce and service the uh, food service uh, industry um, by the use of waste, plant waste materials. Uh, We produce a product that we call the Fresh Fry Pod. Um, And it uh, its job is to extend the life of frying oil for many for frying oil operators, whether it be commercial or industrial. Um, So anybody in the you know, fried chicken space understands that, you know, your chicken's going in for, you know, six, six and a half minutes at 350. Um, and that oil over time gets degraded because of the, um, the gummy polymers, the water that's uh, secreted from the, the proteins and the things that you add in. Um, and then obviously the flavor transfers from, you know, if you're having a fish fry Fridays, um, that next day, uh, without proper treatment of the oil, um, some of that flavor might transfer over into whatever if you've got chicken in or french fries. Um, so our pods help not only um, extend the life, but also give uh, a higher quality food on the consumer's plate. Um, so that's what we're currently addressing. That's our current market. 
Um, we are distributed, distributed nationally through uh, Cisco. Um, so available to almost anybody. Um, and we also do some of our own uh, direct distribution via Shopify and things like that. So very, very excited. We, we've grown from a team of three uh, with our co-founders and a sales uh, rep here to a team of eight um, and now going on 10 or 11 uh, in about a year's time. So uh, massive growth for us. Um, and we're very, very excited to uh, have been introduced to the Ops Analytica team um, and to see kind of what we can do in, in engaging uh, a market that hasn't seen a lot of um, advancement, right? I mean, uh, frying oil has been an old industry, an old application, um, but not a whole lot of new uh, technologies have come in and, and made a splash. So um, we're hoping that the, the compliance factor of Ops Analytica, as well as the ease of use of our uh, fresh fry pod um, can really uh, create a synergy that's great for uh, the current, you know, food service industry that is lacking in labor and is seeing absorbent um, uh, oil pricing. So hopefully that that two for one punch that we can offer is a is a solution um, that we will continue to to grow with in the coming sure. years. Well, and real quick for everybody who's listening, uh, the fresh fry pot is really it looks like to me like a, like an iced tea bag. So it looks like it's a it's a filter material, and it is uh, it's obviously filled with their patented you know uh, solution in the middle of it. But mm -hmm. you literally just take it looks like a big iced tea bag or a big coffee bag, right? And yeah, then, it looks, yeah, it definitely looks like something you could play cornhole with. Yeah, and then you just literally just toss it in the fryer at the end of the night. So mm -hmm. when you say pod, I didn't want people to think it's some big tech thing that you're going to have to have oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. down on the wall. This is a disposable bag mm -hmm. full of their product that literally at the end of the night while the oil's hot, you just simply toss in each fryer mm -hmm. and you let it sit in the basket or in the fryer. And then the next morning you fish it out and then you dispose of it. Is that correct? That's right. And the, yeah. the power so, of plants extends the life of the oil. And so let's talk about that real quick too. What are we talking about from the extending of the life of the oil? Because that's really what these guys want to hear. They, they, that's what they all want us to answer right now, so they can listen to the rest of the podcast without being like, "When is he going to say what? How much does this cost? How much is this going to save me? How long is this going to make my oil last for?" Those are the three things we need to get out right now, so people can relax great. and enjoy our conversation. Great, great, yeah. So, um, standard oil life extension that we see is two to four days. Um, typically we take customers from, you know, they're, they're dumping their oil twice a week to now once a week. Um, so there's obvious, uh, cost savings in their cost of oil, but also labor savings and, uh, and safety, all sorts of those soft kind of benefits on the operation, um, that no longer have to be deployed to these very difficult, um, time consuming, unsafe, uh, current, uh, oil filtration protocols. So two to four days is, is kind of our average, what we see. Um, uh, we also, the standard um, before the price increases of oil, which we've seen as much as 2X um, in the recent months, um, the net benefit for using pods for our clients was about $400 per fryer. Um, and so that that's a net, that's with their, with their consumption of oil, with their purchase of pods, they're saving um, an additional, you know, 400. But like I said, that's before um, the current oil market. So it would not surprise me to see that uh, upwards of uh, $800,000 uh, per fryer. Per year, per fryer per year. Correct, correct. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I mean, we were talking on the phone and you know, I was recounting how I used to work at this crab shack back when I was in college, like between my freshman and sophomore year, I was cooking at this crab shack in Maryland uh, off route 40. And, uh, you know, I had to go take the oil out of the fryers. There'd be two fryers, I think. Mm -hmm. And I had to go take it to the back and I have to walk through the bar. And as you're walking, the it's oil sloppy. starts to roll. You know what I mean? And as you keep mm -hmm. walking, cause it's heavy and it's hot. It's the end of the night it starts to flip up and it's like burning your shirt. And like, I mean, it's insanity. Like how, right. like that's and, and it's wet, greasy floor. I mean, 
it, you know, you're just looking for someone to slip and biff it and mm -hmm. pour it all over themselves. Yes. Yeah. That's, uh, it's, it's like the tried and true, uh, your, uh, those are the scars that, you know, prove you're a true warrior of the back of house. Yeah. All those oil, uh, burns on the forearms. That's for sure. Oh yeah. And knuckles too. I have so yeah. many knuckle cuts. Like <laughs> that's how I could, somebody could look at me and be like, you either punch a lot of walls or you were very bad with a knife. And I would say <laughs> I was very bad with a knife because, uh, actually a lot of my knuckle scars are actually from little fires I started. So, like, uh, because I was at this very high class, uh, like, um, formal, it's called the Metropolitan Club here in uh, Denver. And it was back in the 90s and 80s. It was at the, you know, it was a private business dining club. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all the oil men would come and bring you in. And it was white glove service. And we did tons of buffets. And on several buffets, Sterno caught fluffy tablecloths on fire. And I'm, like, whacking it with a towel. And, like, I hit oh, yeah. corner of a chafing dish and, like, ripped the top of my knuckle off. That's good stuff. Um, so anyway, I digress here. As I told you, like I, this is a very easy podcast and we just kind of ramble. So, mm -hmm. so now we know what fresh fry is. You're going to extend that life two to four days. What is that as a percentage on general? Uh, and I guess it, it kind of varies, right? It, yeah, it, it's totally variable. We don't typically talk in percentages because sure. each concept is so different. Well, yeah, it depends what you're frying. If I'm frying, you know, like, like loose battered, like if I'm making one of those things called those uh, blooming onions, mm -hmm. yeah, my oil's not going to make it a day, right? Because like that thing's just destroying the fryer. But if I'm doing all like chicken wings that are skit without any like breading on them, I could be doing it all day, right? Right. So yeah, we, we've taken you know for just some simple cases, we've taken people with one day of oil life to four days of oil life. We've taken concepts from seven days of oil life to twenty-one days of oil life. Um, so, but the, the average about two to four for, you know, your standard, you know, two to three fryer operation. Okay, cool. So all of you out there that got a lot of fryers, you know, you should be looking into this. It's called Fresh Fry. I will put the, uh, I will put the uh, uh, link to their website in the show notes so you know who you can reach out to. Okay, so you never really took us through your career progression. So we can't move on from question one, Jake. So you got to go back and tell us how you got into this whole deal. All right. So when I was in college, um, I started in uh, just kind of restaurant management. Uh, it was a sandwich shop that um, actually my high school lacrosse coach started. Um, so I just helped him manage that. Um, that's kind of where my initial experience came from. Um, but I, in college, I got my degree in exercise physiology. So it makes absolute perfect sense why I would end up in voice tech startup. Um, right. So after college, because I had that uh, restaurant management experience, um, I happened upon an opening um, for an operations manager role um, in a national chicken finger franchise uh, group that was local to Louisville. Um, because I had the experience, they, they took a chance on me. And so I was there um, for a little bit, still feeling that out. Um, in the restaurant industry, um, didn't pan out the way I, I wanted to, um, not the challenges that I, I was hoping to have at that point. So then I moved into a, a sales role um, in the engineered plastics industry, dis in a national distribution company. Um, thought sales would look good on the resume, and these folks picked me up. Um, and I was there for a few years um, and really enjoyed that time. Um, and started to get a better understanding of you know, what I wanted to do in business and engaging um, with different groups of people, with the different people in different departments that have all perspective on how the company grows when we all benefit, um, we're all, when we're all working on the right thing. Um, but there wasn't an opportunity to do anything else in that company. So um, I took another opportunity uh, to be a sourcing and pricing manager for a local um, packaging distribution company. Um, and that was well out of the scope of what I had done before, but it was a very exciting challenge again. Um, and from that sourcing and pricing seat, I moved into, I had kind of kept that role and then added project management and then customer implementation and then some marketing and sales um, and then moved into the actual leadership um, team for that company um, as we grew from uh, a packaging distribution company to a full supply chain solutions company. 
Um, and there at that company, I was introduced to TOC or the theory of constraints. Um, I also onboarded um, EOS or the entrepreneurial operating system. If you're familiar with um, Mark Winters and Gino Wickman and their work uh, with Traction is the book that a lot of people have read. Um, so that it all started to kind of give click with me on how organizations need to operate to be most successful. Um, and, you know, businesses start in the goal of any business um, from my perspective and from the pers perspective of the theory of constraints is to make money now and in the future. So with that goal in mind, there are different um, methodologies in making the decisions to put the company in the best position to do that. Um, and asking those kinds of questions and um, kind of targeting the company's constraint and building the company to best exploit that constraint um, was fascinating to me. So I've taken those learnings um, and it's helped me to realize that what I want to do or what I hope I can be um, throughout my career is a, a kind of a catalyst for growth and a catalyst for uh, stability um, for organizations. So I tried to do that in my last job. And then um, uh, I like to think I was very successful. So I have great relationships with, with those folks there. Um, and now with Fresh Fry, it just seemed like the perfect opportunity um, for me to really flex those skills and see what I've learned and apply it. Um, so it's Fresh Fry really is just on my personal and professional development path because um, I want to be able to excel in enabling our team um, within this organization to execute effectively, uh, to build the vision that our co-founders um, have put together. Um, so I hope to kind of bring the unknown into a realm of possibility and, and remove the obstacles uh, to achieve great results together. So um, that's, that's what I'm doing today, and that's where I am, and I'm very excited and very happy to be here. Wow, that's wonderful. So I actually found that one book on Blinkist while you were talking traction. So traction? I'll listen, yeah, I'll listen to that. What was the theory of constraints book, just out of curiosity? Or is yeah. it just called the theory of constraints? No, so it's, it's a three-book progression. There's a bunch of spinoffs and additional um, experts have written books on it. But the first one is The Goal by Ellie Goldratt. Um, the second one is It's Not Luck. And then the third one is Critical Chain. And they're all uh, novels, actually, um, that kind of talk through the business case from the perspective of, of various characters um, that, that allow you to kind of learn from uh, more of a perspective of a human being on the, the journey of understanding and of obtaining the knowledge. Um, so it's, it's not like a how-to. It's more of a, a use case story, um, which oh, cool. is really engaging for me. That's great. I always like to, like, if people recommend books, I try to, like, get them, especially on Blinkist. I don't know if you've heard of Blinkist yet. My friend told me about this. And uh, you can get some, most business books, I feel like, within the first, third, like, six, 33% of the book, they've told you everything they're going to tell you. And then they spend yeah. the next two-thirds just hammering it in different use cases. And right. so the Blinkist, you can get an entire book in 12 to 15 minutes. And they actually have as an audio or you can read it. So right. like if you're just, pot, yeah, it's like almost like a podcast, but you just bang through these books uh, and you get the biggest, highest level points out of them. And then if you really are like, hey, that's interesting. I need to know more. You can dive in, but you don't have to because, yes. uh, you know, it's just super easy. So um, anyway, um, yes, yeah, so I've been doing a lot of that. Um, okay, cool. So that's question number one. We know how you got where you are. We know what Fresh Fry does. Um, so let's go on to question number two. What's the big project or initiative uh, that you're working on right now? All right. So uh, generally, and the, the reason I was brought here, um, my project, my initiative is to align our company's departments in a way that best exploits our current constraint. Um, so and that's order. So how do we build a company um, that generates as many orders as possible um, that we can fulfill effectively? So that, that's what I'm here to do. You know, we're, we're in a high growth mode. We have expectations both from our, our, our investment team and our team here, um, the staff, uh, to grow very, very quickly. Um, so I hope to enable our team collectively to achieve that, that top line growth uh, while also building a company foundation 
um, that points back to the goal, which is to make money now and in the future. Um, so uh, try to avoid the risks um, that are unnecessary and take the ones that are and, and capitalize on the opportunities that we have. Um, sure. But you know, bringing uh, different people from from different uh, industries together um, to achieve the the vision that we have to execute against it um, is a, a fascinating challenge. Um, and we have a lot of in industry experience on our staff, and we have a lot of um, no industry experience on our staff. And all of those perspectives um, are valuable, um, and all the skills that we are are onboarding now and are exploiting now are very intentional. And we have to be very intentional about putting people in the best position to succeed and to be put them in a spot where their strengths um, shine and that the, the, the way that our company is built um, limits the impact of uh, where our weaknesses might be. So that's, that's what I work on. That's cool. Um, all right, that's number two. Let's go to number three. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Right. So this one is it's hits right at home for us and uh, you know our our mission. We we let out a uh, an Earth Day 2021 um, announcement pledge to uh, redeploy 10 million pounds of waste by the end of this year, and one billion pounds of waste by 2031. So 10 years, we want to redeploy 10 billion pounds or 1 billion pound of waste. Um, and that's massive. I mean, we are in waste redeployment. That's what we do. Um, so when I'm looking at our industry, uh, what, what concerns me and what I am looking for constantly is evidence of is the commitment to food waste reduction through sustainable products and processes. Um, you know, our, consumers, do they care um, about the fact that a restaurant might have a sustainable system, a sustainable supply chain, a, using sustainable products to produce the, the foods that the consumers are eating? Does it matter? Um, and are the brands, if the consumers do care, are the brands doing anything about it yet? Um, I mean, what we all saw with COVID and many and, and many other instances not so um, uh, drastic is that the one thing that will change any industry, any company's um, direction is the consumer behavior. It's the companies that capitalize and are able to uh, pivot in response to that behavior that will win out in the long term. Um, so I, I personally believe that the, the commitment to food waste reduction and the use of sustainable plant-based products and processes has to be demanded by the public for it to truly be adopted at scale um, in the industry. Um, so that's, that's what we're trying to tie together is how to inform the public that these, these options are out there because there's plenty of evidence uh, that there's a Harvard Business Review articles and all sorts of things like that, that point to consumers will purchase sustainable over non-sustainable goods more often than they won't. Um, but they also have to be informed that the sustainable option is available. Um, so it's it's abridging the gap between being a, a B2B company and also affecting the actual, our, our customer's customer, you know, keeping that end in mind. That's who we really have to influence to drive our growth. Um, so that that's that's what that's the challenge that really um, that we have as a company and that a lot of companies like us, you know, even in the the plant based meats, the alternative uh, meat alternative companies, all of those things. It's the the growth in those categories are going to come from the consumers demanding that they exist, not sure. just because McDonald's decides they wants to have they want to have a uh, all plant based burger. Um, that's not how it works. So that that's the challenge that I think is, is we're kind of all have. Um, and because there's so much food waste in America, there's like over four, 4 billion pounds of food waste a year, some, something incredible. There's like 30% of the food produced in America is wasted. Um, there's a whole massive problem 
that we're staring in the face. Um, and it's going to take the consumers demanding that change happen for big business. You know, the ones that if they, the giants that if they take a step, make an impact that everybody follows, the consumers have to get them to move first. Um, so that's the challenge. I feel like we throw away like a billion pounds of food in my house alone. Right. That's because no one eats leftovers. It's really frustrating. Right. Um, so, no, I'm what's it, but you know, what you guys are actually very lucky about, right, is like a kind of a perfect storm in the respect of oil prices are doubling. So people might, you people might buy your product because oil prices are doubling right now mm -hmm. and who knows when it's going to get sorted out. Right. Um, and then, and then ancillarily, you'll reach your goal of 10 million pounds of waste diverted because you'll, because people will buy it for the, the cost. Right. It's kind of, it's what, uh, I'm trying to think of what they call it. It's like the triple bottom line, I think is what we learned about at an MBA school, but it was like, you know, when something is good for the consumer, it's good for the business and it's good for the environment, you know, mm -hmm. then that's like that triple bottom line. And you kind of have that in the respect of it's good for the, con it's good for your customer. Well, it's good for your consumer, like the, the customer's customer, because mm -hmm. they will get better tasting food, higher quality food. Um, and their prices won't go up as much because uh, they're getting the oil, the, that oil savings should hopefully in theory be passed on. It's good for your customer, right? Because they're extending the life of their oil and they're taking an active step, you know, to extend that life and lower their, keep their food costs in line when other things are much more variable. And then the third thing is, is that ancillarily you're helping the environment by throwing away that much less right. fryer oil, you know? Right. Right. We have, you know, the, there are certain concepts that we serve um, that in a calendar year with all of their with 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 compliant use of our product um, throughout all of their concept locations would redeploy a million or up to 100 million pounds of waste just in a single brand concept. Um, and it's it's amazingly impactful what we can do with this this plant waste based product. And it's it's a built in. Um, corporate social responsibility message for some of these marketing teams that we're talking to They they don't have another item, whether it's an ingredient, uh, whether it's in anywhere in the back of house and operations that does what our product does in terms of taking care of the environment, as well as supporting their sustainability mission um, uh, to be to to have a sustainable operation, you know, something that they can scale and do repeatedly. Um, that's you know, that's the ease of use part of our um, product. And that's, that's actually the, the other um, kind of challenge that I see the, the, that's keeping us up that we have to take hold of. And it's kind of what Ops Analytica does really well is whatever application it is, the problem is compliance. Restaurateurs right now are working with fewer personnel while paying more for the ones that are actually showing up for work. So they have less uh, you know, hours, less uh, man hours to actually work, um, paying more for the ones that are working and they're experiencing terrible disruptions in their supply chain, all while being asked to pay even more for the items that aren't arriving to their door. Um, so they're, they're stretched super thin and that's not necessarily anything new, but it is a problem that can be fixed with a compliant, sustainable process. Yeah. Um, and so that that's what we're we're trying to build. That is the true problem with any application um, in in the restaurant industry in the back of house. Well, and it's interesting you say that because and the, and you know just so everybody knows, I'm one of the founders of Ops Analytica. We uh, I produce this podcast really just to produce content and and really if you everyone wants to know why I do the podcast, it's because I was a stand up comic for twelve years and I enjoy. I enjoy like, you know, being on the podcast. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy um, this whole thing, but this is also, we, we market this uh, through our company, but just so you know, Jake, I don't really spend too much time. Like I talk about the company when it right. makes sense in the conversation, but I'm not, this isn't just like a, a 45 minute commercial for us. But <laughs> one thing that's really interesting about our platform, since I am now turning it into a commercial for us is, uh, is that we do something that nobody else does. And, and you kind of hit the nail on the head. All these things that people are buying, right? 
all these solutions, they never work unless you change behavior and mm -hmm. hold people accountable to doing them. Mm -hmm. And like, and so, you know, when my last company, we were software, uh, we were, uh, you know, custom software consultants and we built a lot of high level uh, tech, right? For like big things like the World Bank and Visa and Wells Fargo and Comcast, like crazy stuff. And so, but the thing is, it's a term that they use a lot in tech, it's called shelfware. I mean, someone went out yep. and spent a ton of money on something, but they never got it implemented. So it's literally sitting, the box, like the, the, the box of software is sitting on a shelf somewhere and it's, it's not actually generating any form of return. And that is so common. And I get this from restaurants all the time. Like I was talking to a guy, they're a client of ours for years now, uh, probably like 2018. And he was like, we fail at most of these initiatives that we take on mm -hmm. because the operators or the people who sold us the thing told us how great it was, but they didn't help us implement it. And so that we tried to implement it ourselves and, you know, we just fail because we couldn't get it done. And then we get no ROI out of it. And I mean, like your fryer pods only work if the guy who bought them can get the guy at the location to walk over and toss them into the fryer. They do no good in the storage room. You know what right. I mean? Yep. So, and it, that's every aspect of our, our business. Mm -hmm. every, you know, we have to have that accountability mechanism mm -hmm. to make people do stuff. And uh, that's where we fall down. And also accountability is not fun. It's not sexy. It requires some oversight. And so people shy away from it. You know, it's so crazy to me. That's right. I, actually, like if I could uh, commission a psychological study on why so many people don't want to hold anyone accountable, it, it's mind boggling. But then right. when you find the businesses who have an accountability systems driven culture, they are crushing their competitors. Driving. That's right. Yeah. It's the insane. interesting thing about accountability from, from my perspective is the employees are not accountable for their results. The management is accountable for their results because it's management's job to build systems that enable the employee to be successful. And yeah. if the systems that we build um, as managers don't support their success, that's on us. It's not on the employee. And so the same for product developers like us or, um, you know, software companies. If we, if we treat it like that, we, Fresh Fry should not expect that our products are going to be used. If the system that we've built that deploys the, that product to the customer doesn't support compliant use. Yeah. So we have to take that on us. It's not on the customer. It's on us. And it's not on the employee. It's on the manager. Um, yeah. So how do we bridge the gap and make sure that the, the alignment of their success is that the employee's success is the manager's success is the company's success at the global scale. When they are all aligned, things become a lot easier to hold people accountable for. When, when employees understand that what they, how, what they do contributes to the global good of the company, it's a lot easier to have these conversations of accountability. Absolutely. But you know, what's interesting too is accountability doesn't cost anything. Right. And if there is a cost, it's nominal, right? Like, I mean, my platform is not that expensive. So like it's literally nominal to, you know, a normal, whatever restaurant accountability, but accountability is free. Accountability is culture. You know what I mean? So like, it's not like you have to go out and spend a hundred thousand dollars per unit to get some accountability out of it. No, you have to have the right people. Uh, like, you know, going back to uh, Jim Collins is good for great. You have to have the right people on the bus. Right. And then, and then you can have accountability for free. And, you know, I have a theory because I'm a big fan of the Pareto principle, that 80, 20 rule that at any given time in the world, 20% of the restaurants are making like 80% of the profits. And yeah. then the other 80% are like scrounging for what's left. Right. But like I worked, for instance, um, I've worked at chains that were great. And I've worked for chains that were imploding. I've done both been there for both watching it skyrocket up, watching it skyrocket down. And, uh, but there are companies out there right now 
in this labor shortage with all of the challenges that everyone else is facing and they have amazing accountability they're figuring it all out they're addressing all their challenges they don't have all the labor issues everybody else is having they're just incredibly well-run businesses yep you know what i mean and then there are other mm -hmm. ones that are just like eh, they're just victims you know yep. it's yeah it's insane accountability will pay you dividends when it's used and it will hurt you immeasurably when it's not well you know and so and here's the other thing. Have you, because we've been talking about books and stuff, have you listened to the, or read The Adaptation Advantage yet? No. Uh, you should check it out. You'll hear a lot about it in the tech circle because it's all about like the fourth industrial revolution. But really, yeah. it, the whole book is talking about how, you know, the theory is that like computers are going to automate out all of our jobs and no one will have a job in the future. And, you know, yeah. it's going to all be like 10 companies and a bunch of servers. And, but they just talk about adapt adaptation and ad adaptability, which you kind of touched on earlier, and just how in the marketplace you have to be adaptable. And because, well, just for all you people in the restaurant industry who are listening to this, this is happening as we speak right now. Mm -hmm. The adaptation advantage is happening. You've already implemented more technology in the last 10 years in your restaurant company than for the previous 3,000 years of restaurants. Since the time Jesus was eating in restaurants, the last 10 years have been the most amount of technology ever. And it's not going to stop. It's only going to go faster. And your competitors are some of your competitors, specifically my clients and my competitors of mine, their clients too. They're adapting this much more robust data-driven decision-making systemized process mm -hmm. that they're putting into place. And they are already beating you. You don't know that they're beating you because it's small incremental changes that are happening. Your product is a small incremental change that is going to allow the people who use it to beat their competitors who don't use it. Because mm -hmm. because it all comes down to, we're a restaurant industry, right? Nickels, quarters, and dimes. And the fact is, is that the people who are adopting my system, they're adopting your system. They are getting better at what they do while the people who aren't are staying stagnant. And yep. it's those little incremental changes that they continue to make. Uh, conserving oil, making their, making their marketing a little bit easier, whatever it is on my platform, getting operations, dial in, looking at the data, avoiding huge mistakes, seeing what the hell is actually happening in their business when they're not there. Right. Those things are small incremental changes and you don't see them when they're happening. But all of a sudden, all those little changes start to snowball. And so right. it's like the avalanche starts with one snowflake hits the top of the mountain. And then at the bottom of the mountain, it's, you know, a million pounds of snow going 150 miles an hour. And that's what's happening as we speak. And they talk a lot about that in the adaptation advantage as well, too. Just how, it's all small incremental little steps that are going to take you from point A to point B. But then you're going to see like the people who are struggling and the people who aren't. And then that gap's going to grow and grow and grow. And right. data is going to be what's driving it. So, right. Well, the, the interesting thing about the data, data driven is like a buzzword now, right? Because we have so many different pieces of software that can give it, deliver us so much data. Yeah. Um, what gets measured gets managed. Yep. What gets measured gets improved. So it's really important to make sure that you are measuring the right thing um, and that that thing that you are measuring is related to whatever it is that makes your company more money, whatever it is that helps your company be more successful. There are so many things that we give so much attention to that don't matter. Our yeah. product, the, the frying filtering application is important, but it's not the most important thing. And the amount of the time spent on filtering fryers on any given day for, for some of these, the back of house operators is potentially hours for, for high volume chains. It's absurd. That's not where your attention should be. That's not where your time should be spent. There are other things to do. So products like ours allow you to focus on what actually matters. To, that will actually make the difference for your company.
company living or dying this year or through the next version of COVID or whatever it is. Um, so, or yeah. the next layer of crisis or when they decide to extend benefits in September. Because right. everybody's right. looking at September right now going, please, God, just get us to September so we can get some of these employees back, right? And there's nothing to say that the government isn't going to go, hey, you know what? COVID's coming back in three places. Let's just keep everybody home. Here's another six months of $10,000 a week in unemployment, which I know I'm exaggerating on. But you know what I mean? And like the whole industry is like holding its breath to get to September as this big finish line, but it might not be. The right. government could extend them out to the end of the year. And then now you're understaffed through Christmas now. You know what right. I mean? And right. So, yeah. And yeah, and I, I like what you said too. Data driven is so important because, but here's the thing. Once again, it's data is nothing without accountability, right? It all goes back to accountability. If you want to be great, then you will be a systems driven operator who collects as much data as humanly possible on every aspect of your business. And then you will use that data that you collect to hold your team accountable to doing yep. what you want them to do. And it was how that hold people accountable point it doesn't matter you know and and so that's and that's a gap that our platform not once again don't want to make this a commercial for us but that's a gap that our platform like right. we're the accountability part of things and so for instance just so everybody here knows fresh fries using our platform to monitor uh with some of their clients and their prospects the ability that they're actually using the pods Mm -hmm. because they won't the clients won't see the pods uh, effectiveness once again if they're sitting in the uh they're sitting in the storage room they need to be out and right. in the fryer every night right what so. what we have the the what we have to do is to connect the we have to create a bridge between the back of house operator and the decision maker and the ivory tower at corporate yeah we have to prove get the feedback from the operator that this is something that we can do. It's a sustainable action for us and it's a product that's working, it's effective. And then we have to use those, the, the data to prove to the decision maker, the purchaser, that you yeah. made a great decision. Also, here's all the other tangential benefits of your built-in uh, corporate social responsibility message with this product. Congratulations, you just redeployed a million pounds of waste this month. What are you going to do with that as your brand? Because I guarantee you that's a differentiator between you and your direct competitor. Absolutely. And, you know, using that data too to like calculate. So real quick, because I was actually thinking about this earlier. One pod, like, so one pod is, or, you know, how much waste is each bag? Because you use a bag a day, right? You don't reuse the bags, right? Yep. So, yep. One, one pod per fryer per day or per night, aside from the night that you're dumping your oil. Um, it's yeah. 8.6 then, pounds of waste. Of, of fryer waste that you're saving. Just the, of the, there's, uh, there's a 0.6 pounds of, pl of plant waste that's in the pot of actual materials that's doing it. And then there's eight pounds of fryer oil that is saved, that it gets wow. to be, gets its life extended, gets to be reused um, again for the same quality results you're looking for within the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And so let me ask you this question too, just as I, as we're going through this, uh, another on the pots. So you're using uh, plant materials to do this, right? Is your supply chain in such a position that if like, let's say McDonald's signed on tomorrow, you'd be like, sweet, no problems. I have plenty of this stuff and I can get more of it, you know? Or do you have to do a lot to, to get this stuff sort of put into? No, we, we have intentionally built a supply chain. Um, like I said, it's totally sustainable. This is plant waste. This is going, sure. this is being burned and it's, it's incredible um, what's happening with this stuff. It's, it's a nuisance and we're just redeploying it to be. So our, we have built a, an intentionally very sustainable um, supply chain um, it, that can meet the demands of the market. Oh, wonderful. Okay, cool. Yep. So I lost track of where we're at. That's we're on we're on question four, I think. Because <laughs> I'm an expert podcast host who's paying close attention to what's happening during the podcast. Here, give it a second. So, uh, okay, yeah. What is the one thing you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Well, I think it, it, it kind of circles back to the what we just talked about is, is using sustainable products and processes. Now's the time that those those 
smart operators that capitalize and, and see the current uh, detriment in labor um, and uh, supply chain difficulties as an opportunity, not just something to complain about because everybody has the same problem. Um, but those that take that opportunity and do something with it um, and make you know different decisions than they would have made in a normal environment um, will be successful. And you know, I think the what's going to happen, a pivotal point in this whole conversation is going to be the supply chain availability limitations uh, for traditionally produced products. Um, it's going to be a major factor in the shift to more sustainably produced items. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the sustainably produced products will have more capacity and more availability in the market than traditionally produced products. Um, and our availability will help us gain more market share um, as those other products, you know, fall by the wayside because they weren't built um, to last. Sure. Well, that's cool. Okay. Well, now I guess we're on question number five. We breeze through four. Uh, give us a war story. Give us one of those cringeworthy stories about, you know, what's going on over at Fresh Fry, something you couldn't believe happened, something that maybe happened at an operator. You know, just give us one of those wow stories. Oh boy. Um, it doesn't have to be fresh fry either. If you're, if you yeah. have another story and you wanted to use that, I don't care. Yeah. Well, I, I've been looking at this particular question for a while and I wish I had come up with something better. Um, but so as far as cringeworthy, like I have terrible, like secondary or uh, social embarrassment, like on behalf of somebody else. Um, so, but I can never remember what those moments were. Like I'm the guy that, I can watch The Office, the show. I can watch that the first time all the way through, no problem. But the second time through, when I pick up on how awkward some of the, those moments are, I have to walk sure. out of the room. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is about me. So I like I get all cringy all the time. Um, just some something weird with me. But I didn't come up with a good story for this uh, particular thing. But what I, I do have various experiences in kind of my infancy of being a sourcing and pricing manager delivering price increases to customers is never fun. Sure. Um, they're typically not happy about it. And that was super intimidating to me at first, um, you know, being in a commodities market, commodity product and services market, it's just, it's not something you want to have to do. But what I learned is I had so many experiences where I would walk in, they know what I'm there for. We sit across the table from each other and I get just this stare down and then, you know, maybe an expletive here or two, like how can you do that? We, how, why, you know, all the things that turn into a negotiation, um, which I was never prepared for at that time. So it just, I was just so uncomfortable. I was like, I'm so sorry. This is, this has to happen. Here's what it is. Um, and and then I walk out and I'm like, oh, God, I just lost this account for our company. Um, and then I, I track their sales and they never leave. The company, the, the customers never left. They would get so upset in the moment. Um, and they, they would always continue to purchase. Um, it, it was such a bizarre phenomenon that like in the moment it was so emotional and it would make me feel so uncomfortable. And I'm just like melting in my chair. Um, at that point in that experience and the fact that they never left made me really resilient, but that like, those are the experiences I remember being feeling very, very uncomfortable. Um, and if it, there was a fly on the wall watching this, like the, what is this guy doing? Um, but it always worked out and that made me feel more resilient in pricing and realizing that your product, whatever it may be, is not the top of the list of problems that any purchasing agent or whomever is dealing with. As soon as they're done from that emotional experience of dealing with the price increase, they're moving on to what they were doing before you got there, which is something more relevant to their job um, uh, of, of a higher level of importance. So um, not a great cringeworthy story, but just an experience I learned out of being incredibly uncomfortable um, and learning it's just, it's just a moment. Yeah. Well, and it's always interesting too, because so often in your head and we had this at our old company too where you just build something up in your head and you just think to yourself 
there's no way in the world anyone's going to like accept this. They are going right. to freak out. They'll never do business. It's exactly what you were talking about. It's sort of similar to us, but it was how we build. And uh, and then you know we went out into the marketplace and we just said, okay, well we're gonna we're gonna present this other option. And people were like, okay, cool. And yeah. Like, Wait, what? Hold on. Mm-hmm. I spent like yeah. six weeks agonizing over every aspect of this, and you were just like, fine, that's okay. Sounds good. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, and the reality of the situation is, and this is always what amazes me because we live in such a crazy world. Like I, I, I talk about this all the time too. Like I'm just constantly amazed. Like I just go on my like, you know, I call it like I say, Alexa, order me this thing, and they gotta not say because the Alexa in my office will go off. But like, <laughs> you know, and like literally, like shows up like two days later, and it's like this weird magical place where we live, and that because it's so magical and because technology has like enabled so much ease of life mm-hmm. that you forget that there's actual physical constraints in the world that are actually affecting things. You know, if people don't go to work, then the wait at the restaurant is longer. Like that's the reality. Like we live in this crazy push button world where like, you know, things just show up all the time, but there are physical constraints. If I don't have two cooks on the grill, I cook half as fast. You know what I mean? Right. That means you wait longer for your food. So for like anybody who's not in the restaurant industry right now is like, why is the service so bad right now? Why is everything taking so long? Why does everything cost so much? It's because people aren't coming to work. Yep. And it's affecting every aspect of every part of pretty much every industry, not just restaurants, yep. supply chain, truck drivers, garbage men, you name it. If you had a job that was in that 10 to $20 range or, or you know, zero to $20 range an hour, you can make that much money sitting at home around that much money sitting at home right now. And so a lot of people have chosen to sit at home and play PlayStation and that's fine for them. But the rest of us can't like magically make twice as much food come out of one guy. Like it's impossible. There's like physical constraints. And, and like when you're talking about the supply chain, well, when, when, you know, like during COVID, when your inputs tripled in price, like soy went crazy during COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, Soy sauce got more expensive, you know, like it, there are physical things that actually exist in this world. If something is like more expensive, then prices have to rise. Right. You can't just expect everybody in the supply chain to eat it, especially on commodities because they're making a penny. Right. There is no quarter of a penny. You know what I mean? Like at some point you have to protect the penny because that's, you need a billion of those pennies to make any money. Right. So anyway, yeah. That was a great one. No, I, I really like that one. That was a good. That was a good story. It's not as good as the guy who said the rat got stuck to the rat trap and like ripped itself in half and crawled across the dining room during dinner. But it was good. No, I don't have that one. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> was, I don't have that one though. I'll leave that to him all day. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So cool, man. So here's the deal. I am going to put the Fresh Fry uh, website in the show notes. Awesome. And um, and so anybody who's interested in learning more about Fresh Fry's pods that you literally throw in your fryer at the end of the night and it will extend your oil anywhere from two to four days on average. Um, so you're not throwing away your oil as fast, uh, saving you on your food costs and increasing your food quality. Uh, you guys can check it out. Um, thank you so much for being on the show, Jake. Appreciate it, man. Thanks very much for the invitation, Tommy. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you guys for listening to the Order Up show.